Now, last night we really focused in on the way in which uh, God uh, relates within himself. Uh, that was the focus last night. If you missed last night, find someone who was here and just say the word to them, perichoresis. Okay? More learning new, lang- new words, um, new languages. Just say perichoresis and they will explain to you exactly what all the talk was about and they will not drop a bit of it. Um, the focus of the talks, we're looking at God, how he relates inside himself. And we're going to be looking at um, the Father and then the Son and the Spirit in their individual roles in the coming talks. And in our discussion group, spending a little more time thinking about, okay, how does who God is, the Trinity, shape the way I engage others? Okay, so we're going to be looking in discussion group, um, the next session uh, today, thinking about how it shapes the way we relate to each other. Um, as fellow believers, and, and tomorrow how we relate to those who aren't yet believers, uh, the ones whom, uh, in God's will, we pray might come to know him and how God might use us. So that's a little shape of where we're going. Um, all that said, uh, let's pray. Let's pray that the Lord might speak clearly to us. Our Lord and Father, we give you thanks and praise for the God you are, uh, the God who is not just our maker but is willing uh, to draw us into his family and allow us to call you Father. Uh, What a privilege. Uh, And Father, we ask that uh, today, through your mercy, through your love, uh, we might grasp a little better who you are. And that in knowing you, we would be reshaped. Uh, And Father, we thank you for the wonderful promise of what we just read, that you are able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask. And so even as we come before you today asking to grasp you better, Uh, We pray that you would answer it in a way that um, surpasses even our expectation. Uh, Father, uh, we long to know you better uh, and so we pray that you would reveal yourself to us afresh by your word and spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, C.S. Lewis has shaped uh, many lives, uh, many believers' faith. Uh, Lewis himself was shaped by uh, a spiritual father of his own, George MacDonald. Uh, And he wrote of MacDonald, The most important thing we can know about George MacDonald is that an almost perfect relationship with his father was the earthly root of all his wisdom. From his own father, he said, he first learnt that fatherhood must be the core of the universe. He was thus prepared in an unusual way to teach the religion in which the relation of father and son is of all relations the most central. Fatherhood must be at the core of the universe. That is a big claim. Um, it sits slightly uncomfortably with our usual thoughts about dads. Uh, you know, Father's Day in Australia is a special day, but it's slightly tongue-in-cheek. Okay? It's, you know, we have a different vibe about Father's Day compared to Mother's Day. Uh, Australia's preeminent theologian, Colin Buchanan, uh, <laughs> wrote a Father's Day song with this chorus. Dad jokes are bad jokes. It's sad, but it's true. If you love your dad's jokes, the joke is on you. (laughs) Dad jokes are bad jokes, I'm sorry to say. They're a joke with the funny bit taken away. (laughs) Um, Shout out to all the dads. Uh, It beautifully catches, doesn't it, our our love of fathers. You know, there's affection with a bit of cheek. And like all jokes, it works because there's a kernel of truth. Uh, While fathers are loved... It is tinged with disappointment. Uh, Larry May says in Rethinking Masculinity that uh, men are generally socialised in Western culture to be competent in the public world, but not in the private world. 
And training men to be giants of industry and pygmies in the family creates a bitter taste. Uh, A young man had a, a conversation in hospital with his dying father and the father, a perpetual busy, perpetually busy man, had not spent much time with his children and the son expressed his regret that they hadn't shared more together. And the father responded, you know, there dying in hospital, reminding his son he'd worked those long hours in order to put food on the table and feed the family and provide opportunity and, and the son remained silent. And in his heart, he yearned to tell his father he had not been so hungry for food as he had been for his father's presence. And yet, fatherhood must be the core of the universe. So the impact McDonald had on Lewis was the result of McDonald's father. And our mixed feelings about dads affects our relationships both with, our, with humans but also with our maker. Because we've all formed grids in our minds to hear or mishear any concept of God the Father. And for some, perhaps here now, who had appalling and uh, maybe even evil fathers, uh, addressing our Heavenly Father in the way that Jesus recommends and encourages and invites us is actually painful. So we come this morning and we need to grasp true fatherhood uh, because it is the core of God and therefore the core of the universe and therefore the core of our lives. Uh, Francis Schaeffer notes this, even though scripture starts with in the beginning, something was there before the beginning. Jesus says in John 17, 24, Father, you love me before the creation of the world. So before in the beginning was a loving father. And before in the beginning there was a real son, loving, adoring, praising, enjoying a very real father. It means that the universe is not a dark, empty, impersonal place, just the opposite. At its core... It is an overwhelmingly warm, relational, personal place. And this explains why broken and unhealthy relationships, loneliness and abandonment are amongst the most painful human experiences. Fatherhood at the core of the universe. The Puritan John Owen, he explains the difference. It makes to your relationship to God if you grasp his father. He says this way, Remember he is our loving father. Every other discovery of God without this will but make the soul fly from him. You know, so if you have holiness without his fatherhood, you'll run from him. But if the heart be once more taken up with this, the eminency of the father's love, it cannot choose but to be overpowered, conquered and endeared unto him. This, if anything, will work upon us to make our abode with him, our home with him. If the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? Exercise your thoughts upon this very thing, the eternal, free and fruitful love of the Father and see if your hearts be not wrought upon to delight in him. That is what we're about to do. We're about to exercise our thoughts on the eternal, free, fruitful love of the Father, starting in God himself, that our hearts might be filled with delight. Fatherhood is at the core of the universe. Uh, We need to understand God the Father. Um, Again, let me say last night we looked at uh, God, the Trinity in himself, how the three persons operate together in such a way of complete love and selflessness that they become one. Uh, We saw the one complex God is perfect relationship. But this morning we want to focus in, we want to see that the first person of that Trinity, we look at the Father's distinctive role and identity. Here is the one key truth to grasp. The Father is God's benevolent authority. 
He is the leader within God who does what is best for the rest of the Trinity. And this is the core of the universe, life and new life. The starting point of this reality uh, is not God's relationship with you, but his relationship in himself, his internal relations. Um, Two aspects of this truth we'll see. First, the Father is God's authority. So the Father is the the source of decision-making and direction within God. Again and again, Jesus speaks of his Father sending the Son and the Spirit. I'm going to hit you with some verses here, look at them later. John 14, 24. These words you hear are not my own, Jesus says, they belong to the Father who sent me. Uh, 14.26, the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Uh, John 17.8, they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. John 20.21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the the Son never sends the Father, nor does the Spirit. Uh, And this sending, it's it's not kind of an offering a couple of options and kind of, you know, what would you like? Uh, You know, he's not saying to to the Son, would would you like cornflakes or would you like the Nutri-Grain this morning? No, no, no. Sending in this sense is not a choice you can take or leave. The Father sets the direction. Even with equally divine persons, he is to be obeyed. So John 14.31. John 14.31. The world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So the Father has authority within the Godhead. That means Jesus, through whom and for whom everything in creation was made, still turns to the Father and makes requests. You you would think that Christ, who is God, would never need to ask anyone anything. But right, perfect relationships aren't the same as equal, identical roles. And so Jesus does nothing without his Father. Uh, John 17.1, I said last night John 17 was a key passage. Um, you know, maybe uh, if you manage to not sleep, uh, you know, turn to John 17. Um, not that it will put you to sleep, but it will be a great passage to read over. Um, John 17.1, Jesus looks to heaven and he prays and he makes this series of lengthy requests from glorifying the Father to, to holding on to his people in this world. You know, and he turns and he goes, I'm leaning on you, Father. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ seeks the Father's help to drink the cup of suffering. Uh, perhaps most remarkably, Jesus, after he rises from the dead and before he ascends to take his place at the heavenly throne, he says this, John 20, verse 17. John twenty seventeen. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father. And we go, yes, to my God and your God. As the risen, glorious, uh, about to ascend Jesus, calls the Father his God. He is not denying his own divinity. Okay, don't mishear that. No, he's explaining the important authority that exists within the Trinity. So God is that which you uh, love and you trust and you obey. And as Martin Luther points out, whatever your heart clings to and relies on, Uh, That is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. Um, And the Father is the one who the Son loves. And the Father is the one whom the Son trusts. And the Father is the one whom the Son obeys. And it is in that sense that Jesus calls the Father my God. He entirely depends and is devoted to him. He relies on him completely. He defers to him. Uh, The Father is God's internal authority. So in a very real 
and deep way, it shows that equality and value are not tied to power and authority. So in the heart of God there is a patriarchy. Not, not the wicked patriarchy of men oppressing women, abusing them under the assumption of superiority. No, that kind of patriarchy is just a veil for self-interest and should be denounced. That's not at all what God is like. Uh, we'll some, see more of that when we get to the second aspects uh, of benevolence. But um, what the inner relations of God show is that it is possibly of completely equal worth and yet have one person lead another and another gladly submit to that lead. And so the nature of God's fatherhood, the nature of what God is like in and of himself opens up the possibility in our relationships as well, uh, in work life and church life and marriage and parenting, having relationships of um, unequal power but entirely equal worth and value. So a boss does have greater power and a husband bears final responsibility and the parish council will make decisions and parents do make the rules but not because they're more valuable. No, no, no. And like the Father, God the Father, they should always use their authority to bless their equals. To bless their equals. So that the Father is God's authority. And the way that the Scriptures model prayer to us invite us to honour that distinctive role as we participate in the Trinity's relationships. So our amazing privilege as Christians is we can take our requests, our concerns, our longings, your grief, straight to the Father, straight to the, the top, so to speak, God's authority within, within the Trinity. We, we can go to the one who is the giver. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, there are no instances in the Bible of people praying to or instructed to pray to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think there's only two to Jesus. You know, Stephen in Acts 7, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Uh, Revelation 21, come Lord Jesus. Possibly there's a third, third. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, about uh, Paul's request to, to have the, uh, the thorn removed from his flesh. Uh, don't mishear me. I am not saying it's sinful to pray to the other persons. No, no, no. In fact, um, when we get to our discussion groups later, you'll see I've thrown in John Stott's model Trinitarian prayer to use in our discussion groups. I'm not saying it's sinful. Don't, don't know. But the usual pattern that we're given in prayer in Scripture is to go straight to the highest authority. Uh, and it is a point of honouring the Father's role that we can come and bring our prayers direct to him. Now, by way of analogy, I might say if, my, if one of my children wants to ask permission, ask me something, they come to me. They don't have to tell a sibling and hope that it is passed on. Uh, and in the same way, in prayer, we have the privilege, we go straight to the Father rather, rather than just Jesus who calls us brother. So praying to the Father by the Son in the Spirit is a small way of honouring the Trinity's relationships and joining in. The Father is God's authority. Second aspect, the Father is benevolent authority. Uh, benevolence, just to explain, um, that is you know, goodwill towards, uh, quite literally. Um, but benevolence is acting for the genuine good of others. And God the Father exerts his authority in absolute selflessness. Again, this benevolence starts not with how he treats you and me, but how he treats those within the Godhead. So John 3 verse 35 John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. 
He gives him authority and responsibility. Uh, John 5 verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. He shares his work, he keeps no secrets, he's open entirely. Um, John 15 verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus, having experienced, that's when he passes on the fullness of love. Um, all the way, you know, the, the Father loves the Son, he gives him authority and responsibility, shares his work, shares knowledge, ultimately... All the Father's commands, even sending the Son into the world, flow from doing what is genuinely good for the other. So Jesus says in John 17 verse 23, May they, meaning the believers, um, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. We're normally drawn to passages like John 3.16 where God um, sent Jesus into the world because he loves the world. Um, Not wrong to be drawn to that. It's it's true and it's wonderful. He does love a rebellious, sinful world. Um, But there is a purpose beyond that. the The Father's love of his Son and Jesus' glory. That's why he sent him into the world. See, prior to coming into the world, the son had glory as co-creator. He had authority over people destined for destruction. But after his death for our sins, Jesus has glory glory as both our maker and our saviour, an increased glory. Post-resurrection, Jesus' glory is greater. Um, As he says of himself, John 17, verse 2, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life, not just life, eternal life, to all those you've given him. That is, if you've ever wondered uh, why it is that God chose to make a world knowing that we would sin, knowing that it would cost him so much to bring people back, here is part of the answer. The Father wanted to give his Son a greater glory. A glory not just as a creator but as a saviour. So God the Father has absolute unchallenged authority in the Godhead but he never uses it to serve himself. It is a benevolent, not brutal authority. It's not always making decisions for the Godhead that are easy or comfortable. Sending the Son in the world to the cross was not easy or comfortable, but it is always for the best of the other members. See, fatherhood is at the core of the universe. Before anything else was, there was this loving relationship. Before, in the beginning, God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8. The Father is God's benevolent authority. I want to give us two implications for us who are made in his image. First is this. God the Father reshapes all fatherhood. So God the Father shows us what all fatherhood should be. Uh, As Ephesians 3, we read it, uh, puts it, all families on earth derive from the Father. Um, His fathering is our aim as dads. So we see in him what your dad hopefully was in some imperfect way, and what you need to keep helping other dads to be. Earthly fathers need to be benevolent authorities, uh, leading their families as is best for them, making decisions to promote the spiritual and emotional and physical good of the family. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 4, uh, Colossians 3 verse 21, uh, they give special instructions for families that children are to honour and obey their parents. And then straight after that, fathers are singled out for how they lovingly raise children. Our mothers are not addressed there. 
That does not mean mothers aren't vital. That's, that's another talk. Okay? Um, but there is a particular weight on fathers to be the benevolent authority at home. A 1994 Swiss survey found if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshipper. 2%. If a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers, regular and irregular. 2% compared to 66 to 75%. And many of you know uh, both the grief of this statistic and some of us know the joy of that statistic. Fathers have a massive influence. And so, like God the Father, they must be benevolent authorities. And it's worth acknowledging we flawed fathers, and we are flawed, uh, quickly fall into two equally bad habits. Either we abdicate authority or we abuse it. So we abdicate authority, uh, never making the tough decisions for the good of the family or leaving wives to bear the weight alone or uh, coming so tired from what we're doing in the public sphere, the work that we're as good as absent. Um, some dads even choose to work longer or you know, stay down the club or on the sporting field because it is easier and brings more kind of kudos than the, the hard work of home life. Abdication. The other fatherly sin is abusing authority. That unlike God, we rule for self-interest. Um, now, I, I want to acknowledge there are some extremes of abusive authority that would immediately be in your mind. I just say that word and we go there. Let me be clear, God is against, so against, all forms of abusive power. Uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, mental, any form. But it's not just the extremes. The danger of self-serving power can be even in the little things too. You know, it's the the dad who gives himself the least burnt sausage as he brings it off the barbecue. Um, but because God the Father shapes true fatherhood, we all need to help dads avoid both errors. We need to you know, overtly counter society's mixed message about fathers. We need to keep affirming fatherhood's value. We need to make it easier for them to be loving leaders you know, like the, the single man I knew who volunteered for the longer business trips so his uh, co-working dads didn't have to be away from their family. You know, we need to commend them when they act lovingly. We don't underestimate the power of affirming words for dads who sacrifice and make decisions to not buy their dream car because it was self-interested. We need to point them back to God himself that they might learn selfless authority. You know, meeting with a young father fortnightly to read the Bible is not just investing in him, it's blessing a whole family. See, God's fatherhood reshapes all fatherhood. Difficult as it is, we've all got a role to play in supporting and praising good dads. But secondly, with that, God offers to be our father. Wasn't it delightful to hear Peter Say before, share before, what a joy it is that he's discovered in the Gospel he can call God his Father. Now, by nature, we all bear his image, but it is a cracked and distorted image. Um, it's why psychologists talk of the father wound, because all human fathers fail and hurt us in some way, and we all, in turn, fail and hurt others. You know, all the fathers here know that the aspiration of being a benevolent authority is beyond us. So where do we get healing? 
Where do we get the strength to be godly? Well, it's only by finding again that identity as his children, by coming into the life of the Trinity, to join the divine dance, to pick up on the language of last night. And here is the wonder of the Gospel. God offers to be your father. And the same love that he has for his son, he offers to you. You And there is no greater way to wound a father than reject and kill his son. Uh, But as Christ cried on the cross, it is finished. That is exactly what happened to make it possible for enemies like you and me to join his family and to have our deepest wounds healed. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story to help us understand the way God is willing to father you. And so he's a profligate father. He is generous and loving to the point of waste. That's profligacy. Um, I think it's better than, you know, in the story of the prodigal son, uh, prodigal, wasteful in that sense. It's, it's, the, it's the father who is so prodigal at that point. Um, so wasteful. Continue to go out to the, the, the wild, rebellious son and the, the, the hard-hearted son who stays close at home. That father who keeps going out, costing himself. Who can ever say they've had a father like him? You know, a father whose heart is compassionate and non-judging and forgiving toward his son, always inviting them back despite their failures. Uh, He loves freely and openly and boldly without condition and expectation. And Jesus tells us this is what his father and ours by faith is like. See, fatherhood is at the core of the universe and God says, come into the very centre of it. Come and be my child. And because... He always acts for his children's good. We can accept his authority confidently. So Jesus reminds us that the Father exercises his absolute authority over creation in order to bless us. You know, Matthew 7 verse 11, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, and in Luke's account of that, he tweaks it a little and he says, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? And you kind of go, hang on, you've gotten that a little bit wrong, haven't you there, Lord Jesus? Um, you don't mean, no, he will give his very best. In other words, he will give himself. He will give of himself. He will hold nothing back. That is the fatherhood of God. C.S. Lewis captures that difference between God's um, overflowing love uh, and, the, and the devil in the screw tape letters. And it's the way he does it in analogy, it's kind of a comparison of what it is that God the Father, what he wants for us compared to what every other God who we might put in our hearts would seek for us. So these are the imagined words of a senior demon advising a junior tempter, explaining God. He says this, One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on its miniature scale would be qualitatively like his own. Not because he absorbed them in, but because their wills freely conformed to his. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and we'd be filled. He is full and overflows. That's what it's like to come into the life of the Trinity itself, to experience the fatherhood of God, to have one uh, who wants to take us from servants to being his sons, who wants to give out rather than suck in. 
See, God's fatherhood, when you grasp that, you see how he operates with his own son and then with us, makes trusting him uh, and his authority not just safe but even a joy. It is scary, let's be honest, it is scary to hand over control of the big things in your life. And we're not free to to pick and choose the instructions we like to hear from God. Um, And obedience is hard. uh, But when you know God is good, it's not just possible, it's a joy. It's freeing. See, at points, uh, God as our Father will ask you to do some really counterintuitive things. You know, Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for them. Love your enemies, pray for them. 1 Peter, we're told, don't repay evil with evil but with kindness. And if you here have ever been genuinely wronged, you will know that is a really difficult command. You know, a friend had rumours and misinformation and gossip spread around his workplace. Uh, got him in a major trouble, even in a, a high position in the company. Uh, seemed like things had worked out, but a year down the track, um, after taking a promotion, transfer within the, the company that meant relocating the family, the, the backroom lies saw him lose his job. And when that happens, you know, when that happens, to love your enemies, pray for them, not repay evil uh, with evil, it's so hard, so counterintuitive. And it's only when your heart is gripped by the Father's authority combined with benevolence that you can obey and not only can, you'll delight to obey. So even in difficulty, God is using his fatherly authority for your good. Hebrews 12 uh, talks of how we need discipline from our Heavenly Father that we might become more and more like him, more and more participate in the life of the Trinity, become holy, set apart. So discipline, both that negative side of correction and the positive side of modelling, is the sign of love and legitimacy. You know, I, I see a, a child on a bus misbehaving, you know, I ignore it, you know, turn up the podcast, tune out. Enjoy the view. I see my child misbehaving on the bus, you know, out of love and responsibility, I have to act. Um, Let me explain. This is just an analogy. No real story involved whatsoever. Um, But as Hebrews 12 argues, you know, while, while our human dads do our best, their best, God can genuinely do what is good for us, what is the very best for us. And so even in difficulty, if you're experiencing it now, He is doing it for your good, the greater glory, just as when he sent the Son through the cross, it was that he might experience a greater glory. He is doing the same for you. You know, if you've experienced badly an earthly father, you will be scarred. And if that is you, the the great news is you can turn to a father who loves you deeply and discover healing. And even if you've had a great dad, uh, here, as many of us have, there is a better one. One who always and in everything acts for what is best for you, seeking a greater glory. And of course, if you don't know God in that way, then your soul will still be flying from him, even as you might be here. Don't keep running. Fatherhood is at the core of the universe. And just at the beginning of the world, the Father loved the Son. May you and I find comfort and confidence in his love for us. Let me pray. Our Lord and Father, we give you thanks and praise for the God you are. How we thank and praise you for your fatherhood, for the power you have that is used so selflessly, for your desire to see the glory that is yours shared, to increase the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to increase even our glory as you invite us in to be your sons, your children, that we might share in the wonder of the Trinity. And Father, we pray that we would grasp a little more 
uh, how great your fatherhood is and how that secures and transforms us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.